0: That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. chumbacasinocom
2: No purchase necessary. law 18
0: plus terms and conditions apply. See
2: website for details. In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton.
3: Scarcella took me to the precinct
2: and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Garcella finally tells his story. And so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hi, I'm Ron Barr, and this is today's edition of Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8 Side Network. David West joins us on Sports Byline, NBA power forward who's played 15 years in the league with the Warriors, Spurs, Pacers, and Hornets slash Pelicans. And he won an NBA championship with the Golden State Warriors, played his college ball at Xavier, and was the AP College Player of the Year in his senior year. And the Hornets took him in the first round of the 2003 draft. David, I knew you were born up in New Jersey, but you ended up down in Garner, North Carolina. Population 27,814. That's a suburb of Raleigh-Durham-Chapel Hill. Tell me a little bit about how you ended up down there.
4: I didn't get to Garner until I was 16. Uh, family was uh, you know, my my mother and father uh worked at various points. My dad was a a postal man. Uh, and then the army reserves. My uh my mom was a stay-at-home mom and then she taught for a couple years. As my grandparents got older, we moved uh and I finished my schooling and we basically set up uh you know a home for ourselves in, in uh in Raleigh. We were in Garner when I first got down there went to Garner Senior. Uh very, very small, uh <laughs> uh quiet place, but it's it's actually grown quite a bit now. But um we made a move to be closer to my grandparents um who were getting a little bit up there in age and so uh, my mom and dad wanted to be closer to their parents in their uh, in their later years.
3: You also went to Hargrave Military Academy. How did that work out? Why did you go there?
4: Uh, well, I needed Hargrave. Uh, it was a postgraduate program. Um, I needed to to discipline one, but two. I needed to extra year of school to get my grades and my SAT score uh, to a level which would make me eligible for uh, the NCAA. So. Um you know I was a guy that uh, messed around a little bit as a freshman uh and sophomore in high school I found myself behind the eight ball as a senior so had to um, you know do that extra year uh in the military academy it it, you know, it got me tougher, got me disciplined and uh you know really got me you know prepared to to go into college and uh be able to work and contribute right away.
3: One of the things that surprised me is that you know you live down there near Tobacco Road, you're right there with uh, North Carolina and Duke and everything. How did you escape and end up in Xavier?
4: uh well, I just um just didn't get recruited you know sometimes um uh well when I was younger, I just didn't fit the the model um you know I was six seven six eighties uh but I wasn't very big, so um i just don't I don't know if I was attractive enough. Um, you know, for that level. Uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't have, you know, any ACC schools looking at me. So it wasn't one of those things that I was, you know, took personal. I just felt like, you know, you know I was unique. Uh, but, uh, you know, thankfully Xavier, uh, Coach Prosser got an eye on me. Uh, you know, they offered me right away. You know, he felt like I was going to have a a good career and have an impact in their program. And, uh, you know, I didn't look back after
3: that decision. You, you know, when a kid is young and he's kind of struggling, not not knowing exactly where he's going, usually somebody comes into his life and, and kind of helps him out along the way on that path. Who was that for you?
4: Uh, well, my dad has always been there. My older brother's always been there. Um, I've had a few coaches, you know, that have um, that have sort of, you know, outside of my dad and my older brother, you know, there have been a few coaches that have sort of jolted me. You know, Coach Prosser gave me a lot of life um, just in terms of, um, you know, his belief, you know, in what I could be and, um, you know, his belief in in just me as a a person, you know, Uh, and he made sure that uh, I knew that, you know, from him personally um, on a consistent basis. And uh, he was probably the one guy you know, he was—he uh, only saw me play one time and offered me a full scholarship. And up to that point, all these schools were, you know, had told me, you know, we're gonna wait and see. We need to see what happens. And he was the one guy saw me play once, came out of the stands and said, "Hey man, you're good enough. I want you. I'm, I'm offering you a scholarship to come play at Xavier." And I was like, well, you know, like it was that—it was that sort of up in your face uh, belief." Uh, that he threw at me from day one, and you um, know, I was thankful for you know for his intervention, his his intervening in my in my life. You know, uh, it was a positive, positive thing.
3: I mentioned that you were taken in the first round by the Hornets, who became the Pelicans down in New Orleans. What did you expect the NBA to be like, and how was it similar to or different from what you expected, David?
4: Uh, well, I mean, obviously, the the uh, the physicality and the speed of the game is is a night and day difference from, from college. So I knew that was a gap I was going to have to work on. Um, I just expected to be around the best and experience the the highest level of, of, uh, of basketball. And it's been, you know, it's been that.
3: You're one of the people I think I can answer, ask this question of and get a very insightful answer on because I've been doing sports for a long time. And whether I'm at spring training or I'm at a training camp in the NFL a question that always comes up is uh, chemistry. It's an important part, certainly, of building any team and the team's performance. But tell me a little bit about what you've observed about team chemistry and how important it is in the relationship to talent of a team.
4: Uh, Well, I think chemistry, um, you know, ultimately uh, is what leads to to wins and losses. I mean, you can have a great coaching staff. um, You can have great schemes uh great game plans, great practice plans, but if the guys don't get along, if the personalities don't mesh, if the characters are too uh too too drastic a difference, um, then none of it's gonna work. Um so chemistry is probably the most important uh, uh element in terms of making sure uh that everyone's on the same page, uh everybody's focused on the same goal and you can only have uh, you can only do those things if you have guys um, who are willing to work with each other uh, you know be around each other because particularly in professional uh, sports you know we're around each other a lot more oftentimes than we are our families um, so um, you know being able to uh, to manage personalities and all of those different things uh, are vital to the life of the team to the team and ultimately to the success of the team uh, in terms of chemistry and guys having to get get along and, and work together and be on the same page.
3: David, I'm going to make an observation here, and if you think I'm wrong about it, don't feel bad about correcting me. But uh, over the years of watching teams that have been you know, good, I, I remember with the 49ers when Bill Walsh was the head coach, the one thing I learned about it, it wasn't Bill, it wasn't the general manager, it was the players like Ronnie Lott, it was like Joe Montana, it was others like that who told the players, the young players, hey, this is the way we do it on this team. And I sense right. that that's an important thing in almost uh, almost any team. Is it important in basketball because you have fewer players and you have the star players uh, on basketball teams that they understand the makeup of the other players and how to bring other people into the mix and how to, to, to do things the, the right way to help them be a part of an organization? Am I correct in that observation?
4: Yeah, I think so. I think um, all the successful uh, groups have been, have mostly been player-led groups, you know, groups that have a strong player personality, but um, have guys that, that understand the system, understand the way that the team needs to function, and they hold one another accountable before uh, the coaches and, and other folks have to get involved. I think that's really the key element that you learn over the course of a, a career is the teams that uh, – The teams that I've been a part of that have have had the greatest success are the teams that uh, one have gotten along, but two, the core group of guys has sort of led the charge. Um, They were the 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 coach's voice before the coach um, set the tone. You know, every day in practice, and um, you know, and not just in 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 terms of uh, you know being on the floor or being the most talkative or anything, but just bringing the level of of concentration and focus and seriousness every single day. Um, the teams that, have, that, that do that on the most consistent basis are usually the teams that have
3: the greatest success. We've got about 90 seconds before we have to break here, but uh, when you were vetting uh, the Warriors, I mean, obviously they had a lot of talent on that team, but when you decided to try to join them, uh, tell me a little bit about what you looked at, what you saw from the outside, and, and now that you're on the inside, how it is similar to or different from what you saw.
4: Well, uh, the one thing is, was the talent, uh, but then two, just knowing, you know, through the grapevine, and then knowing a few guys, um, knowing how they're wired, knowing you know, the competitive nature uh, that they have, um, you know, and then obviously, you know, getting a, a better understanding of the way Steve operates his his team and his group. Um, and, you know those are really the factors and it was those it was those things that uh that really drew me in uh because I felt like they would benefit me uh benefit uh or really you know add to what I could do in terms of you know the contribution I could make to the group
3: uh in that environment anything surprise you when you were doing that vetting
4: uh not you know not really from what I'd heard everything was just checking out um you know, I, I didn't re- realize uh, you know Steve was as cerebral as he is. I, I know he's pretty fiery. And he's, he's pretty, uh, you know, he's pretty charged up. You know, in terms of his competitive nature, um, um, you know, and that's probably something else that I didn't know was quite as 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 rough because he can be rough sometimes. You know, and uh, just in terms of his his willingness to to get after people and uh, his want to, to 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 get the most out of the group, but ultimately to win. Um, he's he's a very very fierce competitor
3: very insightful conversation we're having with David West who plays for the Golden State Warriors won a championship uh, last season and we continue that conversation as we move across the country and around the world we've got you on America's Sports Talk Show Sports Byline you're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast
0: okay round two name something that's not boring
4: a Laundry. Ooh, a book club
1: In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like detective Louis Scarsella.
0: Putting bad guys away, there's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's
1: one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away for murder by detective Scarsella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation.
2: And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom.
1: Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars.
2: We never knew we had the same cop in the case. It's Garcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f- themselves.
1: I'm Steve Fishman, and I'm Dax Devlin Ross, and this is the burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts.
3: David West has joined us here on Sports Byline USA, 15 years in the NBA and, of course, uh, playing with the Warriors, Spurs, Pacers, and the Hornets slash Pelicans. Uh, You have played for two very instrumental coaches, Greg Popovich of the Spurs and now Steve Kerr with the Warriors. Tell me what it is at the core that they both have that has led to their success.
4: Um, I think the the, the key is probably communication um, and then, you know, trust or belief in the system, you know, in a certain way or style to play. Yeah. yeah, I think Steve's got the communication piece down. I mean, he talks to guys, he's very clear and open. Has his constant dialogue with the group. Um, you know, dialogue with individual players. Um and then I think what, he, what 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 Pop's got is this system, uh, is the structure, the timing, the focus, you know, goal oriented uh oriented in terms of making sure the group understands what the focus is, is winning every single night. Um you know, doing things that are going to be, you know, beneficial to the group, um, beneficial to the group winning games. So I think it's uh, it's a combination uh, of of those things that make each uh, each of those guys sort of unique. Um, and I think Steve's got a little bit of pop in terms of he's got a, a, a you know obviously different style of play. Um, but I think he's he's developed great trust in his vision on how the game should be played. Um, and he's been able to implement that here.
3: Are they both capable of pushing the buttons at the right time on both the team and the individual players?
4: Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, maybe pops a little bit more, uh, brash. Um, um, I think, you know, Steve's got, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's personable in the fact that they can kind of just come rap to you. You know what I mean? Um, Um, And even sometimes with the group, you know, he he delivers a harsh, harsh message in a very calm and um, clear way. Um, So I think that's what, you know, maybe uh, uh, makes each one of them, you know, sort of distinct in that
3: that, way. You know, a lot of people say, well, the game's only about the money, but that was not the case with you. You decided to take less money to come and join this organization. Tell me a little bit about your thinking about money and also doing what you love to do.
4: Uh well I, I think um you know you get to a point, you get to a moment where um you know I, I, I had to, you know, make a decision about, you know, what I what I wanted to do. Um, I had made some decisions early in my career or uh, um, you know, just sort of uh laying out a plan, a focus, uh, you know, looking at the long term uh of, of my career. And so we made some strategic uh, you know, investments and moves to to make sure that when it came down to it at the end, the last few years, if I had to make a decision about money or basketball, it could be a basketball decision. I So these last few years, it's just always been about the game and, um, you know, finding joy and just playing and, and being a part of the experience, winning the championship now. Now we're in the defensive of, of the championship, just feeling good about that. Um, You know, I'm 37 years old and I've been playing basketball organized since I was five. So this is, you know, 32 years of my life. And uh, I think, you know, for all of us, you want that moment where you're standing on top of the basketball world, something that you've done for a very, very long time. And to be able to stand there, if but for a moment. Um, it's something that you experience and um, it's something that'll be with me the rest of
3: my days. David, one of the things I find fascinating about you is, is that you look at the bigger picture, but you also understand yourself so well, just as you just said. And I think when you joined the warriors, I mean uh, you were not exactly what they needed to have, but I think you took a look at saying, okay, what is it that this team needs to have? And certainly your passing and defense are something that can always be important in helping them do what they do. And so, therefore, you kind of adapted yourself. You said you looked at what they needed to have, and you approached it from that standpoint. Am I right about that with you?
4: Yeah, I just uh, I just sought to f- uh, fill a role, uh, find a role, um, you know, figure out a way, you know, to play and and um, you know make myself a, a part of the group. Um, you know, obviously it's a high high caliber group, um, but I wanted to be uh, be a guy that was able to find a role you know, fill a void um, in terms of, you know, just using my experience and, um, you know, using my savvy and, you know, my ability to think think the game through in different spots um, to still be productive when I'm out there.
3: I love what Steve Kerr said about you. He said he's like a really good parent. He'll pull people aside, especially when the guys get a little bit sideways. He's got a good way about him. And with a young team, even though you have some veteran players there with a young team, it, you got to be careful, do you not about how you pick what you say to the players at a particular time?
4: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, the thing about it is these guys are still a relatively young group. Um, um, if you think about it, I think Draymond and Claire in year six or seven or so, that's still, you know, that's still very, very young. They're still learning, um, but they've accomplished and achieved that at a very, very high level, uh, had a lot of success. So, um, you know, with the group in general, I mean, it's just about sharing, um, you know, experiences, being able to to guide the message. Um, I think we've got a, a pretty good you know, grasp on what to do. You know, that was already here. These guys know how to win. Um, it's just a matter of keeping that the focus and sort of keeping everybody tuned into that, um, you know, line of thinking on a daily basis.
3: When you take a look at somebody like Draymond Green who wears his uh, heart on his sleeve and can be very emotional, uh, I know he has long talks with you when you're on the plane and everything and I am assuming you probably do more listening than talking <laughs> when it comes mm-hmm. to Draymond. But well, tell me a little bit about that relationship and what your read is on somebody like him.
4: Uh well, I mean he's a very uh he's a very intense guy. Um you know, he's he's a very emotional uh because he competes, he wants to win. He wants to be uh wants to be good. Um and wants to be the best, you know, when the when the lights come on in terms of his team, you know, outperforming your team. That's why he does so much. Um and, and he has to do it at an intensity level. Um, you know, because you know, he, he, he wears his he wears his emotions on his sleeve. Um and that's what fuels him and that's what drives him. Um but you know, with him uh, you know, I just try to talk to him. doesn't matter what, you know, sort of what the situation is. I just want to make sure I'm getting through to him. Um, you know, because he, he listens, um, he wants to be poured into. Um, and I think sometimes people are, you know, see his, 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 emotion, his energy, and, you know, don't realize he's still open for, for messaging. And, um, that's one of the things I try to do, you know, when he's, you know, he, he knows how he's learned how to control himself. Um, he's learned how to play the long game in terms of, um, you know, taking a few hits before he explodes or being able to direct it or divert it or figure out ways to handle it um, because he, you, we want him competing. And he does compete at his best when he's on that edge, when he's right on that line. Um, you know, but for a guy like him, it's just a matter of, you know, just, you know, always communicating and talking with him. Um, but he's doing a great, great job of just maturing and handling himself.
3: David, tell me about the seeds, because you are a soft-spoken intellectual. You read Plato. You're also an advisory board member for Zotech Global. That's a renewable energy company. And your charity, The West Group, has raised college scholarships for more than 400 impoverished youths in North Carolina. Where does that come from?
4: Um, well, it's just the idea that... Um you know, there's there's a world and there's uh, life bigger than our own, um, and that you know this idea that somehow your issues are more important um, than someone else's uh, based on the success that you've achieved is something that I don't, you know, I don't I don't entertain. Um, I, I feel like um, the best service we can do. Um, is to wake up and think about the ways we can impact other people who aren't as fortunate as we are um, on, on, a, on a consistent basis um, to make sure that everything you do, um, you know, sort of has the, the impact that you want and is ultimately uh, producing positive results. Uh, you know, the work that we do with young people, we use basketball, I use basketball as a as a vehicle, um you know to educate and teach and engage with young people and give them a different perspective a positive perspective on life and um you know be able to feed and fuel them things that hopefully turn them into productive people and productive citizens as they move forward in their journey so that's been um that's just been you know been the way of 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 my family um been you know something that I just sort of hold my hat to in terms of um, always understanding that there's a, a, a greater uh, need out here in the world, and that there are other folks who aren't as fortunate, and um, you know, doing things that can positively impact their lives, but ultimately all of our lives, and in pushing things, um, you know, into a more positive uh, uh, direction.
3: David, I want to thank you very much. I knew this was going to be an insightful, interesting interview because I've followed you, I've watched you, I've talked to others who know you, and then watching you play. Uh, It has been wonderful to just share thoughts with you. I thank you for that, my friend. You're welcome back here anytime on Sports Byline. Take care, David.
4: Absolutely. Thanks for having
3: me. David West, again, NBA power forward, 15 years in the league, and has played with the Warriors, Spurs, Pacers, and Hornets, and he also won an NBA championship with the Golden State Warriors. He played his college ball at Xavier and was the AP College Player of the Year in his senior year. Very interesting young man off the court as well as on it. We continue with more of you and Sports Byline. You're listening to Ron
0: Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. Terms and conditions apply.
1: In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away.
0: There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's
1: one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away for murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison... Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation.
3: And The lawyer was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom.
1: Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars.
2: We never knew we had the same cop in the case. It's Carsella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves.
1: I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts.
3: Ron Adams joins us. To say that Ron Adams is a basketball lifer is an understatement. The Golden State Warriors assistant coach has been named the NBA's top assistant coach in consecutive years he is to playing NBA defense, what Bill Walsh was to playing NFL offense, and he is a career assistant by choice who has groomed some of the league's best head coaches. Colleagues sing his praises, booklets that Adams put together on defensive strategy can be found on the shelves of coaches and executives league-wide. And when Steve Kerr and Brad Stevens wanted help easing into their new head coaching jobs, in the NBA, they called Adams in spite of the fact that he's never actually held that job. Ron is more than just a basketball coach. He's a renaissance man of life. Ron, first of all, let's go back to the beginning. Tell me a little bit about growing up in Layton, California.
5: Wow. Well, Central Valley of California. Uh, Layton's a small farming community. I grew up on a on a farm uh, four miles from, from Layton. Uh It's a very fertile part of uh, our country. At one point, uh, ag lands in the Central Valley were, as far as gross national products go worldwide, it was 16th rank. But amazingly enough, in the growth of California, agriculture is now a much smaller piece of the pie. And, uh, for example, the tech sector in our area has really taken off. So uh, a lot of changes in California in the last, uh, you know, number of years, obviously, since I was young.
3: How did uh, that area and that upbringing uh, kind of mold you as the person that you are today? What were the things in that environment that really uh, affected you?
5: Well, I had a great mom and dad, uh, depression-era parents, tough tough on us in many ways in terms of uh, uh, discipline and so on, but great uh, parents, very giving people. My dad was a farmer, a very honest guy. And uh, when he said something, he meant it and followed through on it. And I think all of those life's, life lessons uh, certainly were important in my upbringing. Um, and uh, I look back at that, uh, at that time period and, uh, you know, you, you find out what work is on the farm, hard work, physical work. And uh, I wish my kids could, could have gone through that process because it's it's being lost uh, in terms of the these kinds of the kind of labor that uh, many of our generation went through. It's not something I wanted to do my entire life, but when I look back on it, uh, it was special, and I have great respect for the people who, whether they're producing the crops in the Central Valley or. Doing the kinds of construction things that make our our country go, the kind of work that they do because that's that's really hard work. That's what, quote unquote, work uh, was in my definition uh, uh, of uh, of work when I look back at it.
3: Your uh, basketball career, in a sense, as a player and also a coach, started at Fresno Pacific. Uh, and you began your coaching career right there as an assistant. And following a seven and twenty season, you became the head coach. And in the second year, you took them to a nineteen and seven record. Your first impressions of coaching?
5: Well, I loved it. Number one, I thought I had the best job in the world. I wasn't making any money, but it didn't matter because I was doing something that I truly loved to do. Um, and uh, it was tricky. Um, figuring yourself out vis-a-vis a a small group. I mean, you play on a team, but it's not the same as directing a team. And there was just a lot of learning over the course of my first few years of coaching, and I have to say that I'm still learning. Uh, I learned from younger people. I learned from older people. Uh, I certainly learn a lot from the players I work with. And I I learn a lot from fans, believe it or not. It was funny. When I was coaching in college at at Fresno State, I would have these radio call-in shows once a week, and people from, you know, out in the various areas would pose these really interesting problems, you know, or I should say they would ask very interesting questions, and uh, that that, that gave one pause, and and you had to think through them because they were very well-constructed, so I think I I, I continue to learn. But during the early part of my career, uh, you're really trying to figure things out and be a good leader as well as a good X X and O uh, coach, all those kinds of things.
3: You once said, well, when I got into coaching, it was a very dictatorial relationship. It was the coach looking down at the team. I think that's changed radically, I think, for the better in many ways. But also, it's changed because the way of doing, the way of relating – changes over the course of time because the kids change a little bit, the culture changes, so you plug in in a different way. Years ago it was, you know, pretty much I have the answers, listen to me and you do it. You know, that was a tough time. Do you find uh, in the atmosphere and the time that we live in that it's still the same way?
5: I I don't think you can uh, approach uh, small groups that way anymore. Teams, even businesses for that matter, I mean, people working in business. Uh, There's so much information out there. People. uh, I'm not going to say that people are uh, perhaps any more educated than 50 years ago. There's much more knowledge. uh, There's much more uh, data for them to look at. Uh, There's more information out there. It all depends on how you process the information, package it, and make it work for you. And, And hopefully it's legit information, right? uh but it's changed the 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 young people nowadays are so aware they're they're so uh, they're so well versed in uh areas that I certainly wasn't as a as a kid I look at the high school education of many kids nowadays I mean it's uh it's it's so sophisticated from what I went through however saying that I would also add that learning is learning and I had great teachers I mean I can recall chapter and verse of the people who really influenced my life, uh, in elementary school and high school and so on. And, uh, so, um, we too had good, a good education, uh, from many fine people at that time, but it's, it's changed so much and people want to ask questions now much more, uh, much more of, uh, more so than when, um, I grew up, um, and in many cases, the questions are good. It helps them chart a course for themselves. Helps, it, helps the, uh, it helps a person understand the path that you'd like to take them on.
3: I thought it was also interesting when you said coaching is, at the core, teaching. And I think you're right about that. Is it the same at the NBA level as it is at the college level?
5: I think it is. Um, the difference is you have highly, highly skilled People in the NBA, uh, the the best in the world. There's only a few of them, and uh, uh, our team, for example, the guys in our team, they're almost they're bright to a person. Um, they're aware, they they're, they're plugged in, and they have this great experiential base as a player. Uh, they played our veterans have played hundreds and hundreds of games uh, against. they played against a a given player just a number of times, and so their insights are very important, and you have to take their insights uh, because uh, you haven't been playing. They have. That's a special expertise and bank of knowledge that we don't have. Even a guy who's played in the league who's coaching a team, they certainly still have a knowledge of their playing days, how they were coached, whatever, but these guys are now still in the trenches and, uh, uh, so that whole dynamic has changed and I think it's changed for the better. Yes.
3: We've got a little bit over a minute left before we have to break, but I know Bill Walsh, who is a good friend of mine, said it was easier to teach his kids complicated things because of going to Stanford in that type of environment there. Have you found the same thing to be the case in the environment with the Warriors, with the players that are there?
5: Well, what we do is pretty simple. I think if it's taught well, um people, you know, your players digest it, it's taught well, uh, you drill properly and you encourage and lead properly as Steve does so well. I think the simple things become the uh the sophisticated things. And and that's kind of the kind of the uh the path that we take and, and actually the it's kind of the equation as I see it now And For us in basketball, Um, football is, is, I think, more sophisticated, more to it. Uh, Time to regroup after each uh, work bout, uh, a very different kind of thing, but much more corporate. We're a little bit more jazz, Uh, but it has to be organized, an organized jazz. It has to. Makes sense to both parties, leaders and, 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 the players, um, you know, carrying out this music and, uh, it has to be, you know, there's a lot of chaos in basketball. It's a f- kind of a frenetic game at times. And then in your teaching and in your leading, you try to, to bring some, some, um, some organization out of the chaos. And that's always been the nature of the game. Uh, and it's getting faster and, uh, it's getting different, And I think that principle applies more than ever before now.
3: Ron Adams is with us here on Sports Byline. As I said, a lifetime uh, basketball guy as an assistant coach in the NBA. We're going to be talking more about the Warriors and what they've done in a three-year period. We do that as we continue on Sports Byline. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. Ron Adams is with us here on Sports Byline USA. He's an assistant coach for the Golden State Warriors, but he has coached as an assistant under George Carl, Scott Skiles, Scott Brooks, and others, and now an assistant coach under uh, Steve Kerr. Uh, You've been called a defensive wonk. Uh, When you hear that, what's your
5: reaction to it? Well, I think I'm a little embarrassed by it at times because I think what we do is – you know, pretty, pretty simple stuff. Uh, defense is something that I've always enjoyed teaching. I've always felt it's the, the foundation, uh, stone that allows you to win at any level of play. Uh, it's not the pretty part of the game. It's kind of the giving part of the game. It's the game. It's the part of the game in which you really have to be connected. And, uh, I've always enjoyed it because I see great beauty in it. Um, uh, the coordination of five people uh, trying to stop, uh, you know, five other gifted people uh, who, you know, the, the the offense always has a bit of an advantage because they normally know what they're doing. What that you know, whether it's an individual who has a game plan, the team has a game plan, whatever. So it's kind of an interesting part of the game for me. It always has been, and from day one, I've felt it's of the it's probably the most significant part of the game for winning championships. Let's let's put it that way.
3: I thought it was interesting what Celtics coach Brad Stevens said about you. He said, I think everybody knows the defensive details and the X's and the O's standpoint of it, but I think where he's just as good is in player development and helping guys find their best. That's a high compliment, and when I read that quote, I thought to myself, I'd never heard that before. Tell me about the development aspect because I know for a period of time you were a player development executive uh, in the NBA. But how do you approach that part of being in the NBA and coaching?
5: Well, it's really a, the, it's, it's really an exhilarating part of the game at our level. And, uh, and that is you work with one or two or three players um, daily. And like on a game day, it's kind of interesting because, let's say, if you have a shoot-around, you probably spend some time uh, with the player after shoot-around or before doing a few things, you know, shooting or other kinds of fundamentals. And uh, before the game, you warm uh, the player up. And uh, so there's a lot of time spent together. But more than that, it's a time in which you can really relate and shape. And uh, we have a lot of young guys coming into the league. Uh, They're hit with a lot. And so there's no greater joy, at least to me, for me, uh, uh, than helping someone tailor a game. You know, these guys come in, they can do a lot of different things, but you have to do a few things well at this level to succeed. And if you study the great players in this game, uh, they have very simple games, but they add nuance by, in many ways, fakes, uh you know gamesmanship you know learning how to draw fouls whatever it might be but the mechanics are pretty simple in terms of or I should say the variety of things they do is 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 quite small and getting young players to see this is important it's not always easy but uh our job is to with the young players to simply help them with skills that allow them to get on the floor and, and show what they can do. And so it's a fun process, but the the, the one-on-one uh, relational part is the best because I just worked with so many marvelous young men who have made me better as a coach and as a person, and hopefully you impart something to them. But that's fun. It's just It's, it's just growth. It's just teaching, you know.
3: Ron, I'm going to make an observation here, and if I'm wrong about it, please feel free to correct me. But I really feel, and I think this probably applies to life in general, that communication and how you communicate, and I think even more so in the NBA where you've got young men that are making an awful lot of money, that have egos, that have been stars, there's a lot of adulation around them. So if you want to get them to do something more positive, you've got to pick your words and pick your timing as to sharing it with them. Am I correct in that observation?
5: I think that's a good observation. Uh, I would temper it by saying that the guys at this level are really anxious to get better. It's important to them. And if you have something that you can impart through your daily regimen, almost to a person, they're going to listen and they're going to try to do that because they want to get better. That's the nature of it. They want to grow their small business. And these small businesses have gotten quite big lately, but I like to use the term small business. Um and so I have found them receptive. Now in terms of saying the right things, yes. Uh doing the right things, yes. Um but I find uh I find these guys to be um I think much more grounded in this teaching learning uh regimen than, than probably most from the outside would suppose. I think it's actually a little bit easier at our level than in college right now, although, you know, these guys want to get to the pros, the guys who can play in the pros, not many guys make it obviously, but, um, they, uh, you know, there's a carrot in front of them if it's a high school player or a college player. Uh, but the receptivity at this level with a good pro player is, uh, is, is quite profound. And, uh, uh, it is challenging. You have to be every, – every person is unique, and you have to uh, know them and uh, know what makes them tick, know how to help them, and, uh, you know, it's a continuing fluid equation. So it's fun, though.
3: Since you've been in the game for such a long time and uh, you have the perspective, the capability of perspective here, having been with a lot of organizations, played the game, not at the pro level, but certainly played the game and coached the game, Uh, for such a long time how would you describe the three-year period that the Warriors won two titles and set the record with 73 wins in a season
5: well I could say I could use a number of adjectives I could use stunning I could use amazing Uh, I could pull out other words from the hat but uh, and all would be uh, uh, descriptive of what has happened Um, It's been a coming together of a lot of really unique elements. Steve's leadership, number one, uh, a group of really special young men who support each other. Um, I think over the last three years, I think our team has supported each other as well as if you played high school sports, for example, your favorite high school team did when you were a part of it. Um, it's really an amazing um, dynamic, um, and uh, doesn't happen very often. Um, you know, it's it's a it's getting the right people on the bus, uh, it's getting the right driver, and auxiliary people around the team who are who who assist and help, and and then it takes from the top. It takes ownership is really important in this league and your management is really important in this league.
3: Let me interject something here, too, because one of the things I learned in talking to Bill Walsh was the fact that most of the discipline and a lot of the direction came out of the locker room from the players themselves. And as I watched the Warriors over that three-year period, I noticed that to be the case. You have people like Draymond Green who... Walks to the beat of his own drum, but has now started to mature. And I really think what's happened is just like uh, Ronnie Lott would come and say, Rookie, we don't do it that way. I think that has come into play as well because when you have, you can have too much talent on a team unless you can blend it in the right way. Am I correct about, about that? And also about the fact that, that really I think the basis, the foundation for the success of that, that team over the last three years has been uh, the collective way in which they've adjusted, they've adapted.
5: Without question. I think it's an excellent point that you bring up. In fact, you've done this so often, you could bring up a lot of good points. I should be interviewing, <laughs> interviewing you. You have so much wisdom. Um, yes, that has happened here. And I like to think of it in this manner. We have a team that uh, can, uh, for lack of a better word, coach itself. In other words, you have teams I've been with that you, they're young or whatever, and you really have to provide more input leadership or whatever. And, uh, this team is a very mature, small group. Uh, they, they police themselves. Well, uh, as you said, they take care of the new players on this team. Well, get them going in the right direction or the young players. And, uh, they make decisions, uh, uh as a group. And Steve is very good at being inclusive of asking opinions Uh, We all do that. We have some very bright guys. And uh, that's kind of how we do it. But uh, it's a very, very good question, a very good observation on your part. And it certainly holds true for our team.
3: Let me ask you another observation going forward for the Golden State Warriors. Long season when you go to the finals of the NBA. You have to wonder about... Uh, getting bored to some degree. You also have to be concerned, and we've certainly seen it after uh, winning their second championship. Other teams are going to adjust, try to get more talent, try to do it the same way. Uh, and so what is it you, Steve, and the rest of the, the staff have to do to keep it uh, interesting and going in a positive direction forward?
5: Well, we have to be uh, – we have to – Find out what the next step is. Number one, I mean, every season is different. I suppose starting next season we're going to maybe ease into it a little bit. I'm not talking about once we start playing real games, but just in general, you know, it's a short summer. You have to come back. You have to get get into the grind again and go. I do think we'll have a lot of motivation, but it's we're humans, and it will, you know, that will be a process. But I think Steve has always tried to make the game fun. I think that is a real motivator for a lot of people. We have a lot of fun together. We laugh at each other a lot. And um, we have a lot of depth. And so if for a game or so, someone is a bit uh, not playing at the level that uh, we know they're capable of playing, someone else steps it up. And I think there's a lot of of give and take in that regard that uh, keeps us on a good path uh and then lastly this is a very competitive team we have some really really focused people in that regard and they they like winning they like playing they uh they they will like defending their title and so you count on all these things but the start will be probably a little mushy uh you know preseasons have been that way before when we've had these great great success we get we we get good work in i'm not saying that but you know, you start off, uh, takes a little bit to get back in the groove, but then we do.
3: We've got a little bit over a minute and a half, and I think, Ron, uh, as you look back on your career, one, and also this experience over that three year period with the Warriors when they win two out of three NBA championships, so what is it that means the most to
5: you? It always boils down to the same thing, and that is it's the people around you. Uh, uh, the. We share a bond with the players who have been here that will go on forever for as long as we live. Uh, That's special. We have a bond as coaches. Uh, We have, uh, you know, I look at Bob Myers, our general manager, a fabulous guy. He's going to be, uh, we'll have a bond together the rest of my life. Uh, It's you, you measure all of these things in people. Uh, And I've always said this and not, not always being obviously in a successful situation like this one or as as successful, but every stop I've made in the NBA, for example, I could say the same in college. <clears throat> I, I value that stop because of the people I met. And, uh, what we do is a people occupation It's a people business. We have our players, we have our fans, our, our team really treats our fans well and treat, they treat everyone well. Anyone who has, uh, who approaches them. And this is kind of what I would say will be the highlight for me when all is said and done. You certainly savor these championships. There's no question about that. But uh, they're like the, the Olympic wreath. You know, it's green one day and it's brown the next, which means you have to get started again. But the feeling, the, the, the relational aspect, the connectedness that all of us have together is the special thing.
3: Ron, I want to thank you very much for your time. Uh, I've always heard that you are interesting beyond just basketball, and you certainly have verified that with this discussion that we've had. I hope you won't be a stranger and come back and we can talk about other aspects, not only of sports, but people in general, because you have a good uh, feel for them as well. You're welcome here anytime on Sports
5: Byline, Ron. Thank you so much for having me, and you do a great job. Next time, maybe I can interview you because I think you probably will be more interesting.
3: (laughs) Thank you, Ron. Take care. Ron Adams, again, Uh, I called him a baseball, basketball, I should say, lifer. Uh, It's an understatement because uh, he he goes beyond just teaching X's and O's. He understands the game, and he also understands people very well as well. We continue across the country and around the world. Good to have you with us on America's Sports Talk Show, Sports Byline. You have been listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network.
0: Terms and conditions apply.
2: In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim led by Derek Hamilton.
3: Scarcella took me to the precinct
2: and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Scarcella finally tells his story. And so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.